0: My name is Bill Kokenauer, and I'm part of the Exponential team, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this special webinar where our focus is on together, the great collaboration. And it really comes from the last prayer that we have recorded, that John recorded in chapter 17, the last prayer of Jesus before uh, he went to the cross. And we reference that a lot. I just thought I'd just take a minute and just uh, read a portion of that prayer. I think it'd be good to, you know, we reference it a lot of time, but we um, we don't really quote it. But in beginning in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you've loved me. Because I just think it's just an amazing, you know, where we're given the, certainly the great commandment to go, the great, or the great commission to go, the great commandment to love, but, uh, but really doing it together. And to, today, so today specifically, we're going to dig into this idea of together as a network. And uh, we're really seeing some encouraging signs of churches coming together within cities for the sake of gospel saturation. And that's particularly true in San Diego, which is one of the least church cities in the U.S. Um, And uh, today we get to explore the story of the San Diego church planting movement to learn about how churches are rallying together there to start new churches through Planting campuses, mergers, and other ways. And I am excited to be joined by a couple of amazing uh, practitioners, Brandon Grant and Nathan Hawkins. Welcome, guys. Good
1: to have you here. Hey, thanks for having us.
2: Bill, it's uh, great to be here. Nobody knows me as Nathan, though, so you got to refer to me as well, Chivo.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Chivo.
0: It, it is. It, yeah, Chivo. it is Chivo. It, it is funny when you say Nathan Hawkins, they go, I, name something. He goes, oh, Chivo. Yeah, I know. Who you yeah, I know. Who you <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just for those of you that don't know these guys, I'll give you a little bit of background. Brandon is the founding and lead pastor of Rise City Church in Lakeside, California, which is a suburb in East County, San Diego. And Brandon and his family moved to Southern California from Illinois to start Rise City in 2013. Uh, Brandon's married to the love of his life, Jamie, and he's the father of four children, Elise, Shepard, Hope, and Connor. And uh, Nathan, or Chivo, as most of us know him, is the uh, West Regional Executive uh, where, uh, for Stadia, where he uh, implements the overall strategy in the Western U.S., focusing on partner development, U.S. church planning, global church planning, and Stadia advancement. He also has firsthand U.S. church planning experience, having led a church plant relaunch in New Orleans post-Katrina. And uh, as an adoptee and an adoptive father, Nathan uh, Chivo is passionate about Children who come from difficult backgrounds. Um, he and his wife have four young children. Uh, yeah, welcome, you guys. Good to have you here. Good to have you here.
2: I'm here, Bill. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to. I want to jump right into because we got some ground that we want to cover today. Um, we mentioned that San Diego is one of the the uh, least churched. Um, areas in the country and Brandon, I'm I'm curious. You you've been there about nine years now. You you moved there from Illinois, which is pretty much known to be more churched than San Diego. Uh, but you've been there long enough now to really understand San Diego. What like uh, give us a little bit of the background? What what are you feeling? What are you sensing
1: in San Diego now? Yeah, when we moved out here, we talked about moving from the land of cornfields to the coastlands. And there's a drastic difference uh, between those two places where I'm from in Southern Illinois was kind of the the Northern edge, kind of the Bible belt. So there were church saturation all over the place. I mean, there's a church in every corner. And then we came out here. um, uh, There are probably more churches than that exist, but there's not a lot of visible representation of church because there's not a lot of church buildings. So the churches that are here, a lot of them are in schools. A lot of them are maybe in theaters, community places. But I remember coming out here and um, and just driving around, and just didn't see any visible representations of church at all. And then we started to hear some of the statistics, uh, depending upon you know what your readings. Three and a half percent of you know the three and a half million people go to church on a Sunday morning here. And uh, there's a, a pastor well-known out here named Miles McPherson, and uh, he pastors The Rock, and he always talks about even if, even if 10% of the population of San Diego came to church, we don't have close to the square footage in all the facilities here that are churches or schools to even house that many people. And so there's a huge shortage. And so you, you, have, you have pockets, different areas of San Diego that are probably a little bit more churched, if you will, than others. But it is a very it's a it's a multicultural uh, city. Tons of people coming in, coming out. A military hub, so you've got just transients built into the nature of uh, of San Diego. And so you, you as a pastor, begin to realize that. Um, you know, I was a college pastor before uh, starting Rise City Church, and you knew at that point, like I only got maybe two, three, four years with these students. You don't assume that when you're pastoring uh, a church, but when you get out here, you're like. That's that's true. Like we've got a limited window of time with people. Uh, the cost of living is extremely expensive, and so a lot of people come in um, thinking that they want to live the SoCal dream, and they realize they can't afford that dream, and so they're out of here. Uh, we're right, you know, on the on the Mexican border, so there are a lot of immigration coming in and out, and so that um, that uh, that definitely impacts just the cultural climate, the political climate. Currently, it's getting impacted significantly. All these um, conversations surrounding, you know, migrants and, and everything else. Um, those aren't just news stories. Like when you live in San Diego, like they're right there with you. Um, and so, and then there's a lot of, um, there's just a lot of progressive, uh, aspects of, of agendas that are, are, that are pushed here, um, that are not necessarily in line with probably some of the Orthodox Christian tenets. And, and so there's, there's a challenge, there's a high, high divorce rate uh, here and more and more people not even wanting to get married. Um, and so those are just all very different aspects than growing up in a small farm town in southern Illinois that had churches everywhere. Um, I think probably the thing that's, that's informed us most, my wife and I, just having school-aged kids. And when you live in a community that has various cultures and races and religious preferences or no, no preferences, there's no even assumed set of norms and values that everyone holds to. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's kind of jockeying for their way to be the way. And, and, it, and it keeps you kind of at, at tension with the people around you because um, you're not really sure who they are, what they represent, what they're going to want to push on you or what they think you're going to push on them. Um, so the trust quotient is, 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 uh, is very different. So
0: was that a surprise to you? Like when you, you, you know, you knew you were moving to San Diego was, I mean, how much of that was a surprise? How they much got
2: off the plane you... and said, this isn't Kansas.
0: That's what I'm picturing. That's what I'm text. picturing. It's like, Whoa, wait a minute here. Well, and if, if you saw, our, if
1: you saw where our churches at when people hear San Diego, like, they just, most times all the images come from all the, the coastal parts of San Diego. Like we're more inland. And so uh, we have more uh, of the desert landscape um, and it's, and it's not all beautiful, opulent and, and beachy um, where I'm as way more blue collar and, and, and run down. And, um, and so, so even the, the visual piece of it, like it's, we always, there's so many parts of San Diego that are, you know, visibly stunning, but the brokenness is huge. And so you can be aware that there's brokenness someplace. But until you actually get in the trenches of that brokenness, that's probably what was most surprising. Okay. Um, one of the things that I tell people, the difference, a huge difference from when we grew up in the Midwest to here is in the Midwest, everyone, at least, not everyone, but majority of people had the label of Christian and that type of Christian really liked to kind of have a certain veneer. And it was really hard to get underneath the surface to know like, yeah. all right, what, what's really going on or out here, they don't care about the veneer. They're, they tout their sin, if you will, like big time. They'll just like, yeah, I've been married six times. I got this and they don't care, but they don't have any notion of sin. So they don't, there's no shame. So I think that was the biggest shift. It's like, and one, you're trying to pry to get underneath the surface. So people can actually say, I've got need for Jesus. The other people, the surface is already there, but they don't realize that that's anything wrong with it. So why would I need Jesus? So it's just kind of a different vantage point.
0: Chiva, would you? I mean, I don't know anybody that knows more about church planting, particularly on the west coast of the country. Um, how does San Diego compare to some of the other places? I mean, you're in Seattle, but you're you're very familiar with what's going on in Northern California, LA County. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, I would say. Um, you know, Brandon's absolutely right. It is a much larger and more diverse, a different region, San Diego County specifically, than even the rest of, of you know Southern California, let alone the rest of California, let alone the rest of the West Coast, which is the region that I get to serve. Uh, Brandon, I, I think I heard this the last time we were together. Is San Diego County larger than the state of Rhode Island? Is that is somebody dropped that? I don't know that we'll get fact checked. It's totally wrong. San Diego County is huge, um, and yet the somebody's diverse- already
0: tweeted it. It's it's fact now. It now. <laughs> You've
2: heard it said, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> but it tremendously diverse. It is very different than LA. It's different than Orange County. It's different than certainly Northern California, um, and yet what those places have in common, and I would say, just up and down the I five corridor from Seattle to San Diego would be that lack of sort of cultural veneer that Brandon talked about. To be a Christian here in the West, we're odd ducks. We're countercultural, we're we're different than, you know, our neighbors. The norm is not to have had some sort of Christian heritage or legacy that we can often look to in the Midwest. And so yeah, I think Brandon's absolutely right. And what you see in San Diego, it manifests differently in LA than it does in you know, certainly the Bay Area or other parts of the Western U.S. But what Brandon and the team there in San Diego are doing is just extraordinary in the face of that, and it's an exciting story. I'm glad we're going to get into it here.
0: Yeah. Is it, it? Do you feel like that's even an advantage in a sense? I, m- I remember talking to a great mission leader from Canada, lived in Atlanta for a while, and I asked him what the change was. You know, what what he missed most, and he said, we, in in Atlanta we this with the culture of christianity he said I, I don't know what to do with that you know where i came, where he came from in canada it was so you know it was it, it was just black and white you know people it, is there i mean there, does that help in a sense
1: i i think so like it was a breath of fresh air like and then you know where i moved from you know there's a christian subculture and here there there is no culture and and so like We're an hour and 15 minutes south of Saddleback Church, and most Christians have heard of Rick Warren. And you can quote Rick Warren, they'll be like, who's that? (laughs) Like, it's just, it's a wide open canvas. And so in in many ways, that's exciting because there's the the realm of authenticity that I think is really uh, powerfully. um, And there's less, the stigmas that are attached to Christians more are what they see on the news, but they have an opportunity to meet you in person. Um, and those can get destigmatized really quickly. And yeah. and when people are already have a built-in authenticity and vulnerability about their life, I, I think that's easier to work with than someone that's trying to hide stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to, I want to get into the San Diego church planting movement and I kid you guys about the acronym. That's one of the <laughs> longest acronyms that I've I've seen. But so how did, how, first of all, I mean, those of you that are, in the, that are watching, that are familiar with Exponent, you know our whole focus is on reproducing churches, on on moving toward multiplication. And uh, what's cool about having Brandon here too, he is one of the Outreach Magazine's 100 Reproducing Churches. Was that were you 2019 or 2020? I was trying to remember. Uh, Probably both. Uh, I think
1: both. 29. 20, yeah, both. Uh, 2019. Uh, wait, wait. We, didn't, we didn't plant many churches in 2020.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but, here, but here's what was cool. So, when Outreach approached us and said, you know, they wanted to put together a list of 100 reproducing churches in addition to the 100 largest, 100 fastest growing, two of the conditions we had were one, we weren't going to rank them, they were going to be alphabetical. And two, we were going to give them a brand new list every year because to us, it was about building a community of reproducing churches, and uh, so you were in the inaugural list. So you know, that's really cool. And and I think Jason has the link too. If if you've not taken the uh, the assessment, there's a way to take the uh, the assessment there as well. But yeah. So so you, what you did with the, the San Diego church planting movement. Um, I, tell me about how that started. How that got started. Where did that? What was the genesis of that?
1: Yeah, so uh, I have a really good friend by the name of Chris Hornbrook, and he actually had moved out here from uh, the Midwest to start a church in Chula Vista, which is uh, another community in San Diego area. And when he came out here, um, he very similar, his heart was gripped by seeing the lack of churches. And so he had a a heartbeat and a vision to not just plant the church that he was planting, but to see a movement of, of church multiplication and planting. And so he reached out to me a couple of years after it started and said, hey, I think we're at a place where um, we're, we're ready to have our first church plant and love for you to consider having that happen. And in the process of him inviting me to come out and check out San Diego, uh, God, God gave Chris uh, a vision and Chris Uh, verbalized it as 10, 10, 10 to to see 10 reproducing churches planted in San Diego, 10 healthy reproducing churches planted internationally in a 10 year period. Chris Mm -hmm. shared that vision with a local businessman who God spurred his heart on. And he, at that moment said, I want to dedicate a million dollars to that vision. And so this guy said, I want to continue to try to in this business that I have, give a hundred thousand dollars a year for the next 10 years. And, and so God, you know, prime the pump behind the scenes of the vision uh, to begin with and to fund it. And so I got excited personally of coming out here, not just to start Rise City, but it's going to be something so much bigger than just our one church. Gotcha. So upon getting out here, you know, there was capital there, there was enthusiasm. And we started just gather with um, other like-minded pastors who um, had recently uh, helped plant or desire to plant. And it started just having this uh, probably every couple months, uh, gatherings together, praying together and dreaming what it looked like to partner together, to plant churches cross-denominationally. Um, there, the thing is, it's one thing is no one has a corner on the market out here because there's so many yeah. unchurched people, yeah. you know? And so there's, there's very little threat that comes by another church starting <laughs> next to you. Cause it's like, well, yeah. there's still, there's just plenty of people. And so um, we, we began to dream what that looked like. Um, we, Quickly after our first year uh, at Rise City, Chris and I had another friend that uh, we thought would make a great planter. And so we invited him out here from the time Savannah, Georgia. And so Chris's church and our church um, and one other partnered together to start what's called Grace City Church. And then they were in and then we found another planter. He was actually here locally and then we met with James Grogan from Eastlake, and he got excited about it. And so all of our churches got together, helped plant Risen Church, which was in Scripps Ranch. And so a lot of it, the momentum started by us, one, saying, we're going to just do it. We're not going to talk about it. Let's make it happen. And two, there was relationships that got established. We kept meeting with each other, hanging out, spending time, praying. And the people that you connect with relationally, your trust for them and planting together, Bridges what gaps are or even concerns you may have if you have certain denominations or tribes involved. And yeah. so that kind of just kept giving momentum. And then there's other things that happen, But that was kind of the genesis. Chiba, so how, I, let me how just. How special I, is that? How special it's, it's is
2: It's extraordinarily it? special. And that's why I thank you. I just want to emphasize a couple of things that Brandon said. First and foremost, church planters hear what Brandon shared, the original vision was not for a church, it was for a movement. And so our brother, Chris, who actually has gone on to plant yet again, now he wants a new reproducing church in Kalispell, Montana. The guy's just a church planting animal, we love him. He shared a vision for a movement, not a plant. And I think had he shared with that particular business individual, Brandon referred to, hey, we just, we want your help to plant this church. That person might've gotten involved and said yes, but I'm sure he was captivated by the vision for this movement. So church planters share the vision for a movement, not a, not a plant. And then the second thing that Brandon just mentioned, but this we, we got to emphasize it. It was started by one church plant that mm-hmm. transplanted. They gave birth to a second. Now they're a network because they have two. They gave birth to a third together, another transplant. Now there are three. And it was about that time that I think, Brandon, correct me wrong, that the other area churches, you mentioned James, our friend at Eastlake, kind of leaned in and said, hey, what's God doing here? Like, there's something going on. And other churches started to get involved, but it was born out of a church plant. And this is why I think what, what God is doing in San Diego is so extraordinary. In contrast to the different movements that I get to serve throughout the West Coast, it's because it was started by church planters and continues to be led by church planters. Now, we've got some healthy, established churches leaning in, and we we pray for more. And I think the reason that God is, is blessing and continuing to work through the San Diego group is because they're, they're leaders like Brandon and Randall and Martin and Matt and others who are planters, and they continue to do this thing. So it, it's truly awesome. Yeah.
0: I, I've worked with enough pastors over the years to recognize there's a a mindset shift that happens. Um, So we, at Exponential, we talk about the five levels of multiplication, level one subtraction, level two plateaued, level three being what we typically champion in addition churches, but level four reproducing being what we really wanna work toward because then reproduction of the fourth generation leads to level five multiplying. There's a mindset shift between level three where you're even in church planters who I'm here to grow as big a church as I can. And either, and, and here, so my, here's my question. So uh, I, I see some level three pastors that that then get a vision for level four. And what often happens is they've moved from a, a church centric view, seeing the city through their, the lens of their church to just being broken for their city. But I'm also seeing a lot of um a lot of churches starting with that level four mindset, it feels like that's what you started with. Like you, you are already like, we got to reach the city. I can't do it on my, I can't do it myself. Can't do it on my own. Is that, would you say that's true?
1: Yeah, I would say it's absolutely true. I I think that, you know, that like Chivo emphasized the vision of multiple churches throughout the city captured my heart and uh, kind of quelched my own cynicism and skepticism, wanting to come out here. I was a little bit like, "eh, I don't know about that." And th- but then it was like, "oh, we got to do this together." That sounds awesome. Um, so I think that there was that vision, and then you know, for us starting off as a church, we budgeted it immediately, and we raised money to start our church saying part of the fundraising is going to be to start another church as well. So I was raising funds to get us established and also to give to the next church. We were already going to start. That's excellent. That's so, excellent. Yeah. So when that was there, it already built into our fabric and framework, the financial ability to say, we're going to do this versus five years in saying, Hey, we want to do this, but we're already financially <laughs> committed to what we've already said yes to for our own church. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah that's, it's interesting uh some some pastors will say well when we get large enough you know then then we'll plant and and, and you you kind of never do it's it's like asking a wealthy man you know how much is enough money you know and the answer is just a little more you know how how, how much do we need to be able yeah and that commitment right from the beginning so what, what would you say to a pastor that uh, to a church planter you know who you know again the primary metric that we've given people in the US is growing a large church and the idea of of, of even beginning with resources, setting aside resources for church planting is fights against that. You know, and there is a, there is a tension there. Did it, how did you deal with that tension? Or what advice would you have for a church planter that, um, that that's getting ready to plant, that's hearing what you're saying today?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's starting with a future picture in mind and then working backwards. Like if you were to ask me coming out here from Illinois to California, optimal vision of what would happen. And be like, man, i hope that we'd have a very thriving and healthy, successful church. That's helped start other churches. Well, if we want to help start other churches, then how do we do that? And Jesus says, you need to be faithful in the small things and then I'll bestow more to you. So I might not be able to give as much as I want to give uh, someday, but I need to start today to make that happen, to get to someday. Yeah. And I think that it's those basic building blocks that, that we know, I mean, that if if we just start with that now, it will grow, and we'll be able to do more. But if but if I always excuse things to be someday, then I, it's not going to happen. It's it just just not. And and there were definitely and have been moments where have been a challenge where. We're outgrowing the school and we need to get a facility and the facility is stinking expensive. We can't afford that. The only place we've got margin is in our generosity fund. (laughs) And so we had to make some really hard moments where we chose to give life to something else versus to preserve our own. And I I remember a a definitive moment for us, at least Rice city was like, we, we invited Randall Tanini to come out here to potentially help him start to plant this first church. And at the same time, we were approached, uh, you know, Stadia likes to to constantly push uh, church planting, which is great. And they had an international opportunity with Compassion International. And so we were given an opportunity to plant a church here in San Diego and one in Bolivia at the same time. And it's like, we're, we're a year old. Like, we're babies. We don't want babies giving birth to babies, much less two babies at the same time. Um, and our bank account. You know we had we were very fortunate because we were given a significant gift, you know up front. And I think I don't know exact numbers, but we, were, we probably had about hundred and fifty two hundred thousand dollars in the bank. And our hope was to be able to give seventy five thousand to Grace City, and then compassion cost eighty nine thousand dollars to do a plant. And we could partner with other people. and 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 we were like, and we were growing and we're like, we need to figure out what we're gonna do about a space. And we had both these opportunities. I remember sitting with our management team. And, 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 and them saying, well, we don't have to do all of this. We don't have to pay for all of this. And you can just choose one. And, and I think this, this speaks to just the heart of God raising up a, an apostolic leader in Chris Hornbrook. He was on my management team. And he said, he said, I don't think you do one. I think you do both. And I think generosity begets generosity. And I remember us being like, oh, my gosh, here we go. And so we threw down, I think, 150 of our $200,000 in the bank to plant two churches at the same time. And that catapulted us from that point. Cause our people got excited. They love to see how God got an expression of faith. And since then, I mean, it just really has. I mean, we've been able to plant nine churches in San Diego and a couple of international, like it's just, but that Man, moment of saying okay. this is what we're going to be about is really what was definitive for us.
0: Man, I so appreciate you sharing that story. And I hope if you're a church planter that you caught that. And I appreciate you being authentic about the, about the tension in doing that and the stress. man that's that's so so cool. Chivo,
2: let me offer a word of encouragement to the regular leaders cuz we know Brandon is an extraordinary I'm leader, so a faithful leader. So the so awesome. person listening to this podcast right now or the stream going, well, I don't have $200,000 in the bank. How am I supposed to got 20 to bucks. We got 20 bucks, right? We okay. got 20 bucks. <laughs> there's a reason, there's a reason and and Brandon illustrates this so beautifully. There's a reason that Stadia encourages planters to invest in the kingdom from the jump from the get-go. We used to require it. We no longer do. Brandon is one of many who have said, yeah, we're going to continue even though it's no longer required. We're grateful for that. Obviously, God's blessing and honoring that. But we tell every church planner we work with, you need to set aside resources for the kingdom from the jump. You can't wait till a certain season. But let's be clear, there's lots of types of resources. So maybe you're not sitting on a couple hundred thousand dollars cash. You do have time and you have talent. And Brandon's willingness to invest his time, his leadership capital, his willingness to lead this movement, to serve with other church planners, to get together with them and to encourage them and to support them, to coach them. That's a huge investment of his time that a lot of people can do that maybe they're not sitting on the cash, but they're like, I could invest some time. Or I got to be careful with my fingers here. Talent is another one. Um, how do we invest talent? What do we mean by that? Well, oftentimes that's people. That's sharing people. whether they serve as scaffolding for a season or whether they're a part of a launch team. I mean, we don't want the the mother to give birth and and to suffer and you know hemorrhage and you know bleed out. But at the same time, a part of her goes with the baby. and Brandon has done that now. Rye City has sent out people. On more than one occasion, and they continue to do that. And a lot of churches or church planners might be terrified. Oh my gosh, we just have this many people. We can't do that. Well, what if what if they did it, you know, just for a, a short time? Or what if they just leaned in and said, Hey, we're gonna we're gonna help this new church plant with this particular ministry for this season, or we're gonna we're gonna provide a worship team, or we're gonna staff their children's ministry, or we're gonna bless their community for whatever you didn't have to join their church, but you could share that resource of your community. I mean, those are three ways that we invite church planners to invest. It's not only financial. Rice City has done all three and the result is this movement that we see God leading in in San Diego.
0: And that's what's cool about a network is you're you're close enough that yeah. you can that you can you know, take care of their children's department, provide a worship team, that sort of thing.
1: Exactly. And I would, I would add, we were fortunate too. There was a local church in the community that we started that allowed my wife and I to go up on stage and there are three services. And he said, we believe that needs to be new churches. And so we're looking for, he called it a SWAT team servants, willing and temporary. And he said, and I fully know that some of you are going to become SWAT team members and not SWAT team members. Um, And he said, I'm fine with that. As long as you keep giving the money to here, (laughs) you know, but, um, but when those types of things also, when, when you have, kindness and generosity and a kingdom mindset enacted upon you. I mean, how can you not do likewise? Like I would, I just can't imagine standing before God with the things that have happened in, in our story. And to say, yeah, I didn't replicate that. You know, like it's the, it's the the parable of the one who, you know, was received the, the mercy from the King. And he's like, then he wouldn't try to get all the debts himself. And it's like, I can't do that, you know? And, yeah. but yeah, so we've been very fortunate to have people, be very kind to us too.
0: Mm. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, Bill, Chico, you, I, go was gonna, I was going to, well, you mentioned stadia, which is yes, just huge respect for stadia and just the, the kingdom focus that you guys have. Um, talk a little bit about stadia's role in, in the San Diego church planting movement. And were you going to say something else though, before that, I don't, I, I, cut you off I was, that.
2: but let me answer your question first. Okay. Um, yeah. So, As you pointed out, and it's mutual. We love Exponential. We love the friendship and the partnership and the connections that we have with you. We love that you're telling outreach, hey, let's focus on the multipliers. I think that's fantastic. And I didn't realize you generated a new list every year, but I think that's even better. So Brandon's not twice, but he was inaugural. Um, Of course, we so Stadia, the the ministry that I serve, were non-denominational, para, I like to say pro-church. Um, because we exist for the church. And so we've been privileged to be involved in this movement, particularly here in San Diego, from the Genesis. So the very first church planner that moved out, uh, Brandon referred to our brother, Chris Hornbrook. Uh, Stadia got to be involved in helping them get launched, helping start Momentum Christian Church, which is the church that he planted. So we assessed them. We provided coaching, training, and all the services that Stadia does um, and so because of that relationship, we got to be involved with Brandon. We got to be involved with Randall and so many others and continue to be. So we are one of several uh, ministries, players that believe in what God's doing in that movement. There's several others as well. We have our friends from new thing. We have uh, 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 gateway uh, who else is involved. There's there's several other groups that are involved in SCCPM stadia comes alongside and says to all of those churches Many of whom now come from different backgrounds, uh, you know, denominations, networks. And we say, hey, here's a toolbox. Here's a suite of tools that Brandon can use, that James can use, that Randall can use for the leaders that they are developing. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel. We've paid a lot of dumb tax. You can stand on the shoulders of those who've gone before us and Stadia will serve them. No strings attached, no obligation. They don't belong to us. We believe in them and then we get to continue to partner. So I love hanging out with Brandon and the other leaders. I'm looking forward to the exponential gathering here in a couple of weeks where we'll all be together. We're going to have a little party and we're going to invite folks to, to come. And it's just awesome to to serve that movement. And maybe I'll interject the other comment I was going to offer and, and I, I just I love Bill that you started us with Jesus's prayer in John 17. We talk about the great collaboration, but we, when we don't read the text, we miss what's so critical there. And I think the two most critical words in that passage are, so that. Unity has a purpose. Yep. It's mission. And so that's what San Diego church funding movement's about. It's these leaders are unifying for the sake of mission. It's not just, yay, kumbaya, we all get along and God's doing something in our city. It's no... We do this so that the world will know. I would argue that conversely, when we don't do it, the world doesn't know. Yeah. So I just love what what San Diego church planning movement is doing. And I'm grateful that Stadia gets to be a part of it.
0: Yeah, And love what Stadia is doing really around the country and around the world. But yeah, I, I have those uh, the, the so that there are two so that's. In, uh, in what I read so that the world may believe that you have sent me and the other one is so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me and um. yeah and I, I think you're right it's 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 not just the prayer for unity it's the prayer for unity so that that is is so critical mm-hmm. um, Brandon um, what are uh, what are some of the ways that churches participate in church planting in
1: yeah um, I mean we when we looked at this, we felt like it was really important because we, we look at, we look at um, the, the passage in Corinthians talks about the, you know, there's one body, many parts. And we kind of look at that through the lens of churches, like not all, not one church is supposed to serve all functions, but like <laughs> this church might be the leg, this church might be a finger, this church might be, you know, a kneecap. I, I don't know. So like everybody has different, each church has different things that they're really good at or that God has graced them to be effective in. And so we try to, first off, with these church that comes in, ask them, what do you feel like God has equipped you as a church to really offer to the church planters or the church planting movement? And, and some would say, you know, um, we don't have a lot of like disposable cash, but we got a lot of like great people who can mentor. Um, we've, we've got tons of equipment that we continue to upgrade every year, and we got a closet full of equipment. Um, we actually have connections to a couple different residences that we can put church planters in and do residencies with. I mean, there's there's different things. And so we try to ask each church what they feel like God's equipped them to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And we say that that type of investment, whatever that is, is, is you contributing to church planting. So now your contribution becomes a part of the general story that you can tell your church that you're a church planting church and a kingdom-minded church in that. Um, and so, you know, we try to, on a financial threshold, ask like, what does it look like to jump in? If you could get $5,000 is kind of like our, our baseline entry, say, to a church plant over, over a three-year period, because most planters raise about in that, that city. So you're talking about, you know, $1,500 a year. Um, and so we, we do put that number in front of people, but then we also start to, to ask them about different resources, different people, different opportunities. And all of those um, are included uh, when it comes to the formation of like the management team, um, which generally rallies around a planter there, there currently is more of a financial uh, investments uh, threshold that kind of gets you at a seated table to kind of really speak into the overall part of the church. Um, but we try to welcome all aspects because this is, there's just so many different things that churches all bring to the table.
0: The, the other thing I love about that is, you know, I, I just, I can't picture you know god looking down and at all the individual churches in san diego but sees the church in san diego you know and and i really think i i think you know i mean we talk about level four level five you know in the reproduction i think we're going to see level five areas level five communities level five cities because there's this ecosystem that of of church planting of of Launching even everyday life Christ followers into businesses, mission, and you know, and all kinds of things. Um, we I have a question that came in that said uh, it sounds like you build sizable churches because it, it it sounds like maybe it's a launch large sort of approach. And, and you can correct that if it's not. And and the, so the question is, how do you keep them discipling and multiplying? I've seen many times where there are, where the more the more parking spots there are, the fewer disciples there are. And so, uh, so yeah, speak a little bit about to kind of the the, the approach that you take to church planning, but then also the intentionality on disciple making.
2: Brandon, let me take the first part. You, you, you think Go about first. the discipling, because that's the tricky part. I'm going to tee that up for you. Um, I'm so glad that this person asked that question, because based on what we've shared, it could sound like. Um, this movement or stadia by extension is only interested in one model. Um, We are referring to it now as sort of the prevailing model without which a lot of people are familiar with. You called it launch large. Um, That is a model that God still works through and we celebrate where that happens. And stadia is model agnostic. We're married to the mission. So we celebrate and are supportive of micro church movements, of digital churches, of multi-site campus, all sorts of different models or expressions of the church, not all of which are this launch large model that increasingly may or may not resonate as well here in the West as it might in other parts of the country. So ergo, the, the focus on making disciples and you know, out of that churches are born. But yeah, at the end of the day, we we say we're into disciple making and, and trusting that the church. Now, how do we do that? That's where Brandon can speak.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he, he did see he, he teed that up for you. There you go. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, I might swing and miss on this one. <laughs> I, know, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I would say like, that's a hard question because we still have autonomy of leadership. Um, the, uh, the pastor and, and the way that God has envisioned uh, giving him a vision to, or she to, to start that church, there's different types of disciple making models and modes and things like that. So like, if you were to ask me personally, you know, Rise City has has grown, um, but the systems that we put in place before we had a person, all were etched in trying to make sure that discipleship was at the heart of it and, and, and you know, spiritual formation. And so, I think a lot of times, that's one of the things I'm thankful for Stadia is, you know, when they do kind of a lot of resources more than like, hey, here's a here's a cash gift, but it's a resource. And so we had to work through like creating our systems before we planted of, of who we're trying to become. Like, what is your DDP, like your definition of a discipled person? And if that's your outcome, then how do we get there and work backwards? And I think a lot of planters spend a lot of time on the front end thinking about their programs, thinking about their sermons, and thinking about all these other things. But they don't really work through systems. And if systems are prayerfully thought through and studied, and, and you say this is what we feel like is going to work best in our context, then generally they they have scalability. Um, so like we put men and women in place that give us accountability towards like the level of disciple making that we find going in our community. We, we gauge a part of our disciple making off. Are they willing to become multipliers? And so if we don't have a lot of people and we start churches, leave and say, we'll go help you start the church. We've, we've fallen short in our disciple making process. Um, but that's, that's things that we've created in our own, um, in our own kind of wineskin here at Rise City. But, but like uh, some of the other churches that we've helped plant they haven't grown numerically to the size that we are but but they they've they've started from the very beginning to be committed to to be multiplying to be investing and so we don't we don't really care if i mean we care but we don't it's not the goal of, like this church is going to be big it's like they're going to continue to make disciples and send them out and invest in them and th- and that becomes our our rubric and if one gets big then, okay, just, I hope they, I hope they're still being conscious of multiplying. If one stays small, that's fine. They, they, I mean that there's nothing wrong with that. And so I think that the, the the part of the question that maybe rubbed me a little bit was about parking lot size or something like that. <laughs> you know? I, I just think that that's a, a, a gross, um, globalizational type comment. I'd like saying that's the case because there are large churches that do well in disciple making and there are large churches that do horrible disciple making but i think it's one that it goes back to the same thing with financial stewardship if those anchors and those big rocks are put in place first and you're committed there then you continue to let that be what what, what guides you and we did we spent a ton of time doing those big rocks and we go back and evaluate them all the time and so i think that even though we've gotten bigger yeah do people know less people here yeah and so it used to be like, we say, man, we want to be a place where everybody knows someone. And now we're like, eh, or, or everybody knows everyone. And now we're like, no, now it's want to be a place where everyone can know someone, <laughs> you know, but it's still relationally connected. Um, and then so we, we worked through, you know, it was like I got to invest with all the people or a couple of people. And now we now I'm pouring into others who are pouring into those people. And so you just it's got to be scalable, but it's it's possible.
2: Brandon, I, I think you did a great job answering that question because at the heart of your question, what I heard, or re- rather your response was intentionality. It's, yeah. it's, you, you talked about, it's not something that we're like, oh, we're going to start a service and gather people and then we'll make disciples. You guys were intentional about disciple making before Rye City ever went public. In fact, I don't know this about your story, but I know many of the churches that we get to serve, Stadia, um, they're baptizing people long before they ever gather publicly. That is a sign of a disciple making movement. That's a group that is being intentional. And yeah, you're right. I think systems and structure and plan all serve to that end. But at the end of the day, it's about being intentional. What is our purpose? Defining what is a disciple look like? And then how are we going to develop people and, and encourage them in that walk? Having a, a discipleship pathway or a journey or a process, just some, some known system. Uh, we like systems because we're engineers, but intentionality about disciple making is what I heard. And I and I appreciate that.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I think and Craig Whitney is one of the coaches, and I think he, I don't, he might be on the executive team now at Stadia, but he was my coach. And you know, he was just very helpful of like you need to define the end of what you want to see in a person. So then, you know, if you've actually got there or not. And so, you know, like whoever asked that question, and I I think it's a great question, what you define as a, as a fully devoted and developed disciple may be different than what I do. You know what I mean? But at least, but we've got to at least describe that and not assume that that's what it looks like. And so you know for us it's very simple. We say we want to call people to wake up to Jesus, rise to life in him, and shine to others for him. And everything is built around that. And we say what that exactly means. So we can look at each person and say, How are you waking up? How are you rising? How are you shining? And here's kind of how we look at it based upon what we see in the scripture. And if and that helps us to evaluate no matter what it is. But I also know that like some people may have different aspects of spiritual formation. They emphasize more in the disciples that they're creating. And I'm okay with that. Cause I don't think all of us are going to look the same um, and be cookie cutter Christians. Um, so. Yeah,
2: yeah. Unity doesn't mean uniformity and, and, but clarity is, is critical. So yeah. to, to clarity
1: and, in,
0: and intentionality, clarity yeah. and intentionality. And yeah. so, you know, the, the, uh, you know the i think the question is good and you know we've seen so many and i, I and i've worked with a lot of pastors in online courses and, and and i've been blown away at how few vocational pastors even do any disciple making themselves you know, so and that's part of the paradigm shift. So, I so I think that you know it may not seem strange to you, Brandon, and to you, Chivo, because of what's going on in San Diego. But it's actually, you know, it's I think it's a legitimate question, and I really appreciate that uh, that person asking that and and to. how you dig into it. So you started to touch on it. What does your if I were to ask you, Brandon, what does your scorecard look like? Like at the you know at the end of a year. You know whether your fiscal year is the calendar year or not. You know, what what are the what are the top things that you're looking at that you go? This is we're we're successful or we're not successful because of this.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I think our scorecard includes um, we are looking at did we how, how many churches did we plant or help plant that is that's a part of our scorecard. Like the second one is how much money did we give away, and did we increase it by at least a percentage? Hopefully, this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask how many people are involved in groups is number three, that they are somehow in a community of, of faith. Um, and we look at baptisms cause then that might be an indication to us of people that are crossing the line of faith or making that next step. And then, you know, our, our last one is attendance, but we really just don't, I mean, I'm just like anybody else. I'd much rather preach to a full room, but I just don't think that matters a lot in spiritual formation. So those those four above are what what we look at consistently, um, and then we have kind of individual scorecards, if you will, with our kind of our wake up, rise and shine to just ask people are they continue to take the next step of obedience to become more like Christ. And here's are some examples. Well,
0: I, I I suspected that, and that's the reason I asked the question because that's that's one of the big differences we see between level three and level four is that they that level three the primary metrics of success are around addition accumulation you know attendance giving um you know whatever it might be all of which are good things to measure but when, when i see a level four church it typically will be just like it's around sending and releasing how many churches are we planning how many people are we sending how much money are we sending or uh, sometimes it'll be a a, a community transformation you know, we feel like God. Uh, Ralph Moore will tell you. um They felt like they were supposed to reach a certain percentage of Honolulu in ten years, and and it took them eleven years. But that was the thing that opened yeah. him up. And that scorecard, man. And and I tell people, if it's going to be anything other than addition accumulation, you have to nail it down. You know, you I mean you have to. You know, you because all of the. I mean, all of the pools back to the addition. You know, yeah. I mean. Yeah, it's just so. So,
2: the movement, this, Brandon, I think what you shared was Rise City specific, but the movement, San Diego Church Planning Movement, uh, talks about changing the spiritual landscape of San Diego County. That's a big, hairy, audacious goal. And it's one that no individual church can do, but collectively, they're seeing that. And so, one of the things I love about the leaders that Brandon works with is they celebrate one another. They celebrate when God is growing through the church, you know, in a different neighborhood or a different community or or just even a different congregation. Maybe they're neighbors, but they're different expressions of the church. They celebrate that. And that, I think, serves to unify the body. And they say, "Okay, we're not in competition with that church or this church. No, no, no. My pastor just prayed for them. Oh, we're on the same team. Like we're Team Jesus here in San Diego. And that starts to change the culture. And, and now suddenly the church in San Diego, the way that they keep score as a movement is not how big is Rye City, but how many people of faith are there in San Diego County? And when that number goes up, that's what their movement celebrates. Not, oh, yay, you know Rye City was a part of baptizing X number of people and they helped plant X number of trees. Praise God for that. As a movement, they're celebrating what God's doing in their city through yeah. all of the church.
0: Yeah. yeah. Amen. That's great. That's great. Well, I want I want to hit on um uh Brandon. Your part of your story is um a merger. Yeah. And mergers are, you know, um even even pre-COVID were kind of on the rise here. Can you talk a little bit about that? How that merger has impacted the church planting movement in San Diego.
1: Yeah, we started off in an um, elementary school, and after a couple of years, we were running out of space, and uh, we were approached by uh, another church in the neighboring community. Uh, a lot of cool kind of background God stories on that, of how I just feel like God kind of put a ball in the T and just said swing, like he orchestrated a lot of it. But, but really, this, this church, Harvest Church, pastored by Mike Crandall, uh, he'd been here for 25 years, Um, they had a paid off 30,000 square foot facility that they were having about a hundred to 150 people coming in. Um, and they just felt like they weren't maximizing the kingdom potential of it. And so God had really pressed on their hearts to begin looking at opportunities to, to, to merge and to see another church that may be blessed by that. And, um, so when they approached us and said, Hey, you know, love to see if this is something that you consider, um i mean of course when you're a church planter and you're two and a half years in and you're in a school and it's been, you're like this is the disneyland story like of <laughs> course like, you know like I, i'm trying to subdue my like all yeah. right, i'm to pee my pants are you kidding me like yeah <laughs> you know, um but but we we ended up engaging in tons of conversations and um yeah it led to harvest dissolving becoming rise city us coming together and 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 then you know using this space and I would tell you, Bill, and anyone listening, though, like when I look at it, I can tell you there's there's definitely, you know, we used the, the book uh, by Tom Roland Better Together as a guide, and there, there's great resources, but the position, the heart position of the pastor and the elders of the church that we merged with made everything happen. They were infused with a kingdom vision, they were saturated with humility, and Mike Crandall and his wife, Colleen, went to every person that they loved so well and got them involved and got them behind it. The vote became unanimous. Mike Crandall is still on our staff um, five years later. Um, You know, he's willing to do whatever he can to be available. So I think that there is just, there's so much to be said about uh, we didn't approach them with this hunger of like, Hey, we're, we're up and coming. You're dying. (laughs) We think better that you merge and we'll pay you a good severance. Like, God led it and um, their humility and, and their willingness to see what could happen um, really was transformative. And, and what that has done is it gave us some substantiation um, with other churches, having a facility and navigating through that merge to say, you know, that we're, I guess, trustworthy. And so they, they were more willing to even plant with us when they saw the fruit of that. Um, it's created a, an actual physical space for us to gather pastors and planters here to do assessments and all those things. And so it's been pretty remarkable. Um, but I, I, I can't say enough about Mike and Colleen Crandall and those seven elders. How powerful is a kingdom
0: vision? Again, not not seeing that, not seeing it through the lens of your church, but allowing God to give you a kingdom perspective of the city. Man, that's yeah, that is that's so cool.
2: I would echo and affirm everything Brandon said about Mike and being a kingdom minded leader. And oftentimes, you know, we get churches that approach us as and say, hey, would you help us resurrect or? relaunch or whatever, you know, we, we have this facility that we're not stewarding or whatever. Right. Um, and oftentimes what we'll say, obviously it depends on the situation and so forth. The details vary, but, you know, in order for there to be resurrection, there, there needs to be death. And then, then there needs to be a burial and then new life can be born. And, you know, we don't like to talk about that in the body of Christ because we like to think the church is will continue on forever. Well, the church, the big C church, absolutely no question. The church will prevail, no question. But individual expressions of the church are we're a part of the body. To Brandon's point earlier, and we, you know, go through a natural life cycle. And so the the kingdom mindedness, the humility. I mean, that's not every church's story, but for a church to pray through that and to consider that. I mean, particularly now in this season, we're coming out of. COVID, Lord, hear our prayer, that there might be other churches listening that are in that. And to have that sort of spirit of humility to say, you know what, we have this kingdom resource that's not maybe, you know, meeting its full potential. Is there a leader that, you know, we could partner with and see new life be born out of? It's just an amazing kingdom. So, and I think about how many more people will know yeah. because of what
1: yeah, and, and if yeah. I could add this. I, I, if there is somebody out there that's, a, that's a, a planter and their church is growing, you know, what happens is, is one, you, you start to see the growth, you get confident what God's doing, you're excited. Um, there's opportunities coming. Hey, we're one of the hundred reproducing churches in the country, like we're a big deal now, you know, all that kind of stuff. And what you can do when you start seeing these other churches that are pastored by people who have been long standing in their faith, but there's not as many people in it, but they got a facility. You can quickly look through the lens of thinking that you've got to figure it out. And they're just, they just, they just haven't progressed at the times. And if you treat them that way, you don't ever deserve to have that, that facility. And what I've learned. And I, and I get emotional because I think what I've learned is when I, when we first merged like i looked a little bit i mean i knew how to like you know, i'm a three on the enneagram i know how to like work these things like <laughs> i, I look i knew how to treat him well but i still in my heart like look hey you should, if you'd have pastored better this wouldn't happen five years later with him around me he's the grandpa to everyone on our staff he's the best christian i know and shame on me god for a period had him lead 200 people faithfully who loved Jesus like crazy and were willing to like lay down their rights to vote unanimously for a new expression of life. That's, that's a scorecard that I don't think anybody can really keep up with. And like, I'm passionate about that because I, 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 I have conviction in my own heart, what happened um, internally, but I look at him, he is a, he and his, they are heroes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful that that is so beautiful i appreciate that tribute i i I do have one more question for you guys but before i do i want to um just let people know that you guys are actually doing a clipping lab um next week in fact we've got three conferences next week bay area and then socal the socal regional conference and then exponential espanol also uh, down there next week. But uh, yeah, these guys are going to be doing um, an equipping lab at the SoCal Regional Conference at East Lake Church, James Grogan's church that they mentioned uh, earlier, part of the San Diego church planting movement. And it's going to be on highlighting a uh, creating a culture of multiplication in your church and your city. And uh, some of the topics they're going to hit on how to find and train pastors and pastors and residents, fundraising for church multiplication, starting a movement in your city. So that's it's going to be an amazing, really an amazing equipping lab. And so I uh, and and if, if you've been part of this call for the last hour, you know that this is that's something that you want to be a part of. And so uh, wh- one other thing that I would mention, we've got learning communities uh, multipliers learning communities that uh, that will be up in seattle the middle of uh, november and then uh, the second gatherings with the kansas city underground in january and the third gathering is uh at, at mercy road uh in indianapolis and we have a, uh, just a couple of spots left in the emerging leader cohort and in the future church planner cohort and we have grants that so, if you're a future church planter, if church planting is in your future, and you've not yet planted, the grant covers your entire tuition. All you need to cover is your is your travel costs. If you're an emerging leader, it cover the grant covers half your tuition, so you would just pay 750 plus your travel costs. And we just got a couple more spots left, so I wanted to to mention that be uh, before we went because those those are amazing opportunities, and we want to be sure that we use up uh, those grants as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. But just before we go. Your advice, and, and I hesitate to say post-COVID because, you know, I was, I was telling you guys earlier, you know, in May of 2020, I moved an event to August of 2020 thinking surely that would be out beyond COVID. So, and, and, and I do think there are ramifications from the last 18 months that are going to impact us. You know, I think it's going to be five, 10 years down the road before we fully understand it. But what advice do you have for pastors, you know, now? I mean, this, is, this has been a difficult time. And 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 you each have. A, I'd be curious to hear from both of you because you you each have a, a different perspective on this.
1: Jivo, you go. <laughs> let you think. Well, uh,
2: thank you for letting me go first because I'm I'm going to pick the low hanging fruit. Then, um, don't go alone. Link up with other leaders. Learn. I mean, these opportunities that Exponential is providing fantastic. Uh, link up. Be a part of a local movement. Uh, fellowship with other pastors uh, and, and people outside of the church, but just don't try to do it alone. We're not meant to do that. And if anything that we've learned in this last season, isolation is not healthy for, for any of us, even the introverts among us. So lean <laughs> in to some brothers and sisters in the faith who can help you carry the load. And it's, it's way more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely,
1: definitely. The, amount of people that experience loneliness and pastors that are wanting to just be done, like do what you need to do to let God work in your soul and bring others into that. So that if an unhealthy heart as a pastor is, is probably one of the biggest reasons that you probably need to take a step out. (laughs) Cause when your heart is healthy, then I think you can lead well. So I'd encourage that. I I would encourage you to be a Joseph. I think we got a financial fallout coming. Be wise with your money. Um, save <laughs> and, and and be generous but i think i think there's that coming and don't give up gathering with people i know that i and, and stadia probably wouldn't like me saying this and everything's digital but i i am not a digital person and i just believe the best expression of the church is incarnational and the church will shine absolutely the brightest when everybody's moving behind screens when actually people get experience real life flesh and blood so i think that hebrews passages of not giving up gathering with assembly is huge because what you're doing um, is actually now becoming culture countercultural, and it's going to shine bright.
0: Yeah. How powerful is it for you to have been part of a network before this hit?
1: You know? <sighs> I mean, it was huge. I mean, it was huge from like the pastors to be able to connect with them, uh, being connected with an organization like Stadia who would check in on you, like just knowing you're not alone. Um, it was a big deal, and and to be able to you know, there's times you want to celebrate together and there's also times it's necessary to be able to commiserate (laughs) and and that grieving with other people going through it together was very, uh, helpful and, uh,
0: healing. Yeah. Guys, man, thank you so much for investing in the people that have been on this call and that will watch it later. Um, it's been, it really has been fun to be with you and, uh, it's been a blessing to me. Well, look forward to to seeing you guys in person next week. Yeah. The SoCal Regional Conference. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Can't wait.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Exponential. Thanks, Brandon. Always good to be with you, brother.